Commission. They will join me to talk about the debates, which are airing on Utah Public Radio, and the political climate in Utah and the nation as we head into the midterm elections. My guests are Scott Howell and Thomas Wright, co-chairs of the Utah Debate Commission. The midterm elections are now less than three weeks away. Scott Howell is a former state senator and Senate minority leader and candidate for the U.S. Senate. Howell is a CEO of Howell Consulting Group and a retired IBM executive. Uh, Scott Howell, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you this morning. Appreciate you being on with us. Uh, Thomas Wright is a former chairman of the Utah Republican Party, current president and principal broker of Summit Sotheby's International Realty. Uh, Thomas Wright is one of eight chairmen and chairwomen of the Republican National Committee. Thomas Wright, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate you uh, being on with us. Uh, before we jump into this discussion, I want to throw out some questions for our listeners. So really interested uh, your answers here, and you can reach us at 800-826-1495. That's toll-free, 800-826-1495. Or you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Are you going to vote? Why or why not? Uh, do you think your vote matters? And do you feel differently about these questions since 2016? What issue are you most focused on heading into the election? And do you feel informed enough to vote? Uh, those are the questions, and love to get your answers uh, to that. Before we jump into this, uh, Thomas Wright, you're one of eight chairmen and chairwomen in the Republican National Committee. Um, congratulations on that. That's pretty high up in the, in the party. Well, it's been great to serve and to make a difference uh, at the Republican National Committee level. Uh, we have a great chairwoman and co-chair, and then there are, yes, correct, eight vice chairs around different regions of the RNC, and it's been an honor to serve in that capacity and just try to make a difference and take Utah values and take the, the things that we know will work in Utah to a national level and just do my best to represent all the great Republicans in the state of Utah. What's, what's your goal in that, uh, in that role? Uh, my my number one goal probably right now is to bring more civility to the political landscape. I, I think we've we've gone too far down. It's, it seems like a giant race to the bottom in too many ways. Um, the, the 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 dialogue, the rhetoric, um, the way people treat each other, I, I have a real problem with. I I want to be a better example than that. I want to do better than that. I want to ask people to do better than that. And. I think the public deserves better than that. We're not going to do well in this country and engage people uh, politically if we can't do it in a civil way. And the other part about that is, is we're not going to be able to feel very good candidates or have people that want to serve if they get treated the way that people have been treated in recent years. Mm-hmm. And, and so my, my number one goal is not just to espouse the conservative values that I think are best for the country, but, but I think to bring more civility to the process. And Scott and I have been able to do that. I did that when I was chairman with Jim DeBacchus here in the state. Um, you know, we, we, we probably agree on way more than we disagree on. We should focus on that first and try to find common ground. When we disagree, we can disagree and do it civilly and still respect each other, but not drag each other through the mud and rely on meaningless sound bites to destroy each other. And that, that's just too prevalent. I hear it everywhere I go. I just heard someone this morning I ran into I haven't seen for a long time say, wow, this political time is just awful. And, and it is. They're right. And we need to do better. Do you, uh, for us, next question, I, I, I have to ask you, elephant in the room, laudable goals. Do you think you're working sometimes at cross-purposes with the, with the president and his Twitter feed? Uh, no, I, I think everybody has the right to have their voice. And I just speak for myself. All I can do is control what I say, the way I behave, the way I treat people, the way I respond when they behave badly and try to be a good example and earn the right to ask people to do the same. Um, you know, it, it's hard when you're in a climate where people are attacking you all the time. The media is attacking you all the time. Uh, they're saying negative things about you. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're reporting omission. They don't, they don't report certain things when they make the president look good. And they haven't been that fair to him. I mean, I just watched the 60 Minutes interview with Leslie Stahl, and I have to tell you, I was pretty disappointed. That's what hmm. That's had objective journalistic approach, and she interrupted him something like eighty times. Um, they, when he wanted to answer, they'd go to B-roll, and she'd voice over to explain what he was saying, not letting him do it in his own words. And I think the president has felt like he hasn't had a fair shot, and when you don't feel like you get a fair shot, then you go straight to the people. Because if you can't rely on the media, then you go directly, and and I think that's that's part of why he's done that, and so. Instead of pointing the finger and blaming one person or the other, I think we just have to step back and we all 
everyone included, have to do a better job of being objective and treating each other with fairness and respect. Scott Hall, I want to get your uh, comment on this. Is that a goal of yours as well, to increase civility in our political climate? Well, um, of course, that's uh, that's a goal that we all need to have. And I think I, I just want to do a, a little shout-out to my co-chair here, uh, Thomas Wright. And, Tom, you said it earlier, he is really high up within the Republican ranks. And with his demeanor and with his uh, exceptional smarts, he really is making a difference countrywide in representing what what he believes is the Republican, the mainstream Republican. And that benefits us, benefits us all, because uh, at the end of the day, what my polling has always showed is that most Utahns are centrist. Um, there's some far left and some far right, but really, I think there, there's a, a kind of a mutual uh, coming, wanting to come together. Uh, where Thomas and I would probably disagree, and and I've been around a long time, you know, the way the the press treats a lot of uh, presidents, from Bill Clinton to Obama, um, it, it's kind of inherent with the office. But I will say that, in my opinion, uh, President Trump has really brought a lot of this onto himself. I never would have imagined that we'd be having policy tweeted out at 2 in the morning. And some of the things that he says uh, are so, in my mind, offensive to everyone, not just to Democrats or Republicans, to, to everyone. But... When you do the analysis on it, he is—he is—he's touching hearts and souls of, of individuals where um, his opponent, um, Secretary Clinton, didn't make that great effort to go in that mid, mid the Rust Belt of the U.S. to listen to people who are hurting, and he did. And I think those people who've been hurting applaud him, and they like to hear what he has to say. They like to have the rough and tumble effect. And most Americans are just not used to that. So for me, it's, it's, um, it's hard to work with, but it is a reality of the situation of where we have. And uh, trust me, there are some things I really think the president has done well on. Uh, I think the tax cuts was a, a initiatives that brought back a lot of uh, uh, repatriate dollars from overseas. I think that uh, some of the deregulation that he's put into place uh, makes a lot of sense. But I just can't get over that uh, of how he does things. And I think the moral compass also, and I'm not judging, I am not judging at all, because I was the guy who went after Bill Clinton from day one. And uh, I had a very interesting history with Bill and what happened with him and, and that little uh, that scandal. Uh, but I do... I, I, I don't think that moral compass is as strong as what I, I, I think represents Utah values at the end of the day. And so that, for me, keeping everything in perspective, I still respect the office of the President of the United States. I think we can't ever, ever uh, demean that to the point where we we look at that office and then our children look to us and they, they say, well, uh, Mom or Dad, he is the President, and that office has to hold that that very important position of being our commander-in-chief and representing our country worldwide, because we are the leader of the uh, of the planet. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts, and we need to maintain that. If you just joined us, we're talking with Scott Howell and Thomas Wright. They're co-chairs of the Utah Debate Commission, and we'll get, we're going to be talking about those debates, and those are airing on Utah Public Radio. We're talking about the political climate in Utah and the nation as well. We're just uh, less than three weeks out from midterm elections. Uh, exciting time if you're into politics, and uh, that's coming up. Uh, we're asking several questions of you. Love to get your response. 800-826-1495. Very curious uh, what, what you're thinking. Are you going to vote? Why or why not? Uh, does your vote matter, do you think? And do you feel differently about these questions since 2016? What issue are you most focused on? 
Do you feel informed enough to vote? Of course, the debates would play into that. Um, the, uh, the the next debates coming up tonight, uh, 6 p.m. It's the Utah First Congressional, Congressional District debate. And uh, this one will have uh, three uh, candidates, uh, Republican incumbent Rob Bishop, the Democratic candidate Lee Castillo, and uh, from the United Utah Party, Eric Elison. And that's originating from the Utah State University in uh, Logan. That's, uh, you can hear that on various media outlets, including Utah Public Radio, 6 p.m. Uh, tonight. Uh, so, Thomas Wright, I want to, uh, I assume that um, as a Republican, as uh, a, a member of the uh, Republican National Committee, uh, one of your goals is to uh, ensure that uh, nationally, the uh, the government stays in the hands of Republicans. Uh, what do you think about the House, and what's what's it going to take to uh, to keep the House in Republican control? Well, we know that in years when one party controls the White House and both houses of Congress, that you have to defy history to hold them. I, it's very hard to do. It's not been done historically. Uh, it hasn't been done for a long time. And the typical losses for the majority party are about thirty seats in total. So we know we're the underdogs. Uh, we've treated this entire cycle that way. We know we have to rally our base and encourage them to, to go out and vote and not get complacent. And um, the Democrats have done done us some favors in recent weeks to energize our base and to wake them up. And I'm starting to show in the polls now that early voting has started. And uh, we, we've raised a record amount of money. And the money is important because that allows us to have an unprecedented field staff, the biggest field staff we've ever had. We have more people on the ground in key districts than we've ever had. Uh, we're extremely well-financed, which allows us to do that. And and that's because we've had a great chairwoman who's been an, an exceptional fundraiser. And so with that, that army of people on the ground and the message that we have and the results that, uh, that we've, we've created for this country in the last two years, we feel like we can defy history. We know we're the underdogs. We know it's, it's, not, it's not ours to win, but we think we can do it. And I'm more optimistic about it now than I've been in the last six months, I've seen the numbers in, uh, in the cross tabs in a lot of key districts, and it looks like it looks like we're going to defy history. I think we're going to hold on to the House. I think it's going to be narrow. I think we're going to do it, and I think we're going to add a seat or two in the Senate. Uh, do you, just before I go, Scott Howell, same question. Um, Thomas Wright, uh, you said Democrats have done Republicans a favor. Are you talking about the Kavanaugh hearings? I think that's part of it. I think, uh, I think that's part of it. But I also think that the Democrats have done... Um, themselves a disservice by not having a big vision for this country. I think that's the biggest thing. I think what, what it is for me is, what are the solutions? You can't just be against the sitting president. You can't just negatively espouse someone else's views and tell everybody that they're wrong. You can only do that for so long before people say, okay, well, what are you for? And the Democrats, the Democratic Party, in my opinion, has not done a very good job this cycle of telling people what they're for. We know what they're against. We know who they don't like. We know they're really upset. But we don't really know what they're for, and that doesn't energize voters. That does not get them to the polls, and that doesn't create uh, a winning scenario at the ballot box. We know that from past races all across the country. Scott Howell, I'd be interested in your uh, your view. What's uh, what's going to take for the Democrats to take the House, and uh, and anything that Thomas Wright just said. Tom, uh, you know, I learned a long time ago in politics: you let a sleeping bear lie, and you don't you don't poke him. And uh, you said it. Is the Kavanaugh hearing absolutely positively have taken away that whole momentum of where Democrats were going? There is just no ifs, ands, or buts. And our behavior and our uh, what what happened in those debates, we woke up a giant grizzly bear that all of a sudden got re-energized. They started calling out their people. They started raising money, and what was could have been a blue, and I'll say this with all boldness, tsunami is turning into a weak little tiny storm. And that debate in and of itself uh, left a, a nasty taste. And it really didn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican. What it said is the incivility of what happened really was a, uh, a major, a major step in losing all of the, the wind we had in ourselves to, to take this over. And I, I think uh, when it comes to vision and it comes to where we are going as a country, Democrats have had the right recipe on health care. They have had the right position to bring forward that we can have a health care pro, uh, 
process and a program that that supports the uh, every single American, but and does not bankrupt the the, the system. Uh, they were our Democrats were even at one point saying it's time that we do go look at Social Security. It's time that we go and look at the Medicare and how we do that and protect it for those who are in, the, in place now and look at redefining it for the future so we can, uh, we can have a, a system that works for everyone. The other thing Democrats were leading out on is the budget. Now, I, I am a fiscal hawk. I am a Democrat, but I am a fiscal responsible hawk on this. Both parties have been responsible for the big deficit that we have today, but the Democrats had a plan in place to start to work on the deficit. And that's kind of all gone out now once that uh, everything's been deflected to, uh, you know, the behavior of the Democrats and why would we elect them and so on and so forth. But our our golden opportunity, our golden moment, now, Tom, I'm not going to say it's completely gone, but let's say it's gone from maximum of 10 to probably down to two or three possibility of having this blue wave that could have potentially been big in our country. Let's take a break. I want to come back more with uh, Scott Hell and Thomas Wright. We're now less than three weeks away from midterm elections, uh, significant elections, of course, and uh, to help get you ready for those elections, uh, the Utah Debate Commission, of which these two gentlemen are uh, co-chairs, is uh, has organized uh, candidate debates. We'll have them for you right here on Utah Public Radio. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, following uh, the break. The uh, next debate is tonight, Utah First Congressional District Debate. That's coming to you from Utah State University, 6 p.m. this evening, right here on Utah Public Radio and other media outlets. Uh, Republican incumbent Rob Bishop. Uh, the Democrat Lee Castillo, and from the United Utah Party, Eric Elison. Then on Tuesday, the final debate, which will be the Utah Third Congressional Debate, that's Utah Valley University is the originating uh, place, and uh, Republican incumbent John Curtis will face off against his Democratic challenger, uh, James Singer. Uh, those debates, all the debates here on Utah Public Radio, 6 p.m. for all of those. Uh, so tonight and then on uh, Tuesday. The co-chairs of Utah Debate Commission, Scott Hall and Thomas Wright, are with me. Hope to hear from you as well following this break. This is Brian Erickson for Bringing More to Life. Some things never change. You arrive to visit, mom might offer unsolicited opinions on your weight and your wardrobe, and dad only starts a conversation if it has to do with the Aggies. The key is to love the best parts of them and to learn to accept the rest. You love your mom and dad, but when something is bothering you, resentment can eat away at your relationship. Communicate with gentleness and respect or redirect the conversation. We help our parents discover the meaning in their lives by encouraging them to talk about their accomplishments, the high points in their lives, and the joys and the sorrows they've experienced. Conversations can bring more to their lives in ways you never knew. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan. Advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Thomas Wright and Scott Howell are co-chairs of the Utah Debate Commission. They're joining me to talk about the debates, also the midterm elections, now less than three weeks away. And uh, you can join us as well, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Are you going to vote? Love to know. And what issue are you most focused on heading into the midterm uh, elections. Uh, so I want to talk uh, about the debates and the debate to commission. I'll start with uh, Thomas Wright on this. Why the Utah Debate Commission? The Utah Debate Commission is a fantastic organization. I'm just so honored to be a part of it. And, and I think Scott will talk a little bit about how it was founded because he was there. I, I took over as the Republican co-chair after the unfortunate passing of Bob Bennett. But the, the organization is all about engaging voters helping them to make informed decisions, driving voter participation. And we have an incredible board that includes uh, all the different media outlets in Utah, as most prominent Utahns that fall in a bipartisan way, more, more in voter participation. Yeah. Uh, regard, uh, uh, when I was chairman... Uh, Mr. Wright, you're, you're cutting in and out. I wonder, maybe uh, put the mouthpiece close to your mouth. I'm not sure what... Oh. 
Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. can you hear me now? Uh, yes, a little better, yeah. Yeah, this is all about vote driving voter participation and making sure that more people are engaging in, the de- in our democratic process. Uh, so, Scott Howell, you were there at the beginning. Uh, what was the genesis for Utah Debate Commission? Well, I think the genesis was to encourage higher voter turnout. Tom, as you know, uh, at one time, Utah led the country in voter turnout, and it's just diminished over the last probably 10 or 15 years. And so uh, a professor from Brigham Young University by the name of Richard Davis came up with this idea of of making sure that debates are uh, key to getting more people involved. And quite frankly, uh, we found that a lot of candidates were choosing not to debate, and rightfully so, because they had everything to lose and nothing to gain. And it, and it could be the Democrats if they were in control or the Republicans. And so we started the debate. And um, Governor Walker was the co-chair. And uh, we formed and we brought all the media executives together. And uh, you would think, Tom, that every media out there, the Tribune, the Herald, the uh, the Standard Examiner, the Deseret News, they're all fierce competitors. But boy, they came together to say, no, democracy and keeping our republic strong is more important than being in a competitive environment. So they are, uh, make up our board. We have an executive director by the name of Nina Sliding, who uh, is outstanding and has a political acumen second to none. Um, when Governor Walker passed on, Bob Bennett was my uh, co-chair, and what a great, great, uh, both those individuals. It was an honor for me to serve with them. Uh, when we talked to Thomas about being in this, um, I think he raised his eyebrow and looked at me and I said, Scott, your co-chairs don't have a good history of sustainability, and so uh, <laughs> we're glad that uh, Thomas is like uh, 29 years old, so we, we have, we, we're projecting the longevity with him. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> pray for his health here. Um, Amen. <laughs> um, so, Scott Howell, I believe you had an experience as a candidate. Uh, uh, not an unusual experience um, uh, trying to get a debate out of the incumbent. Incumbents uh, sometimes don't want to debate because uh, they feel like they uh, they can only lose in a debate. Mr. Hatch, uh, I, as your listeners probably know, and I always love Cash Valley. It is one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, my wife, uh, uh, her grandfather had the first market up there, Skanky's Market right below the university, and uh, it's a prominent place when you talk to old-timers. And um, we actually were going to have a, a debate, um, and I couldn't get Oren to, to participate. He just would not do it. And then uh, when, when we, Brigham Young University said, well, we're going to hold a debate, and uh, he backed out at the last moment. And so for me, it was so frustrating. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, spoils go to the victor, and, and Orrin had every right to it. But what I was concerned about more than anything else is the voters didn't get to hear another voice. Now, would have they voted for me? Would they not voted for me? That's a different issue. But I think in order to end the apathy of what we see in voter turnout, we've got to have both candidates on the, on the stage listening to questions that have come from the heart of those individuals that want to know where we stand. And it was so frustrating to me. It was just like, come on, Oren, please do this. But I understand where he came from. And you know what? Again, you just have to suck it up. Now, the, the debate commission, we have not had one candidate turn uh, away from our debates. And quite frankly, we are having such success right now. We're thinking and, and we'll be uh, doing a deep dive on this of maybe having two debates for our congressional people in the future. Thomas and I have and both I, I committed add, to that. Uh, and I don't mean to cut you off, Scott, but I would add that we did primary debates this year for the first time. So this is an organization that's doing really well. It's been well embraced. It's well run by Nina, and it has a great board. And we're just expanding. You know, we're doing primary debates, and as Scott said, I think we should uh, migrate into doing maybe more than one and also look at uh, having propositions more thoroughly vetted mm-hmm. so that people feel like they're making educated uh, choices on the ballot. I was just going to ask you, so in the future, perhaps debates uh, over the propositions. We've talked about it. It's mm-hmm. something that we're, it's under consideration. We'll see what the board wants to do. But I think our goal is to uh, inform voters with the purpose of 
of um, increasing participation. And, I, you know, when I was chairman of the Utah Republican Party, we started the big vote-by-mail push in Utah. Uh, together with a bunch of volunteers, we started uh, registering people to vote by mail, mostly to drive attendance uh, or participation of Republicans. But, look, we started that fire, so to speak, in 2009 and 10, and now, look, vote-by-mail is a statewide system, and it's increasing voter participation. And one of my favorite things to do, which I just did, was sit down with my wife and kids and get the ballot open and went over everything with my kids, including all the judges and every proposition on the ballot. And you, you get to do it in the privacy of your home. It's still a secret ballot. But I get to talk to my kids about the, the, the propositions. I get to talk to them about judges and how important that is. I, we get to talk about the candidates and talk about third-party candidates, which is so important, and, and, uh, and, and have a moment. Rather than go into the ballot box, you don't really know which proposition's which. You know, you didn't quite get a chance to read about them. You don't really know which judge is which. And it, and it just doesn't create that same uh, that same opportunity. So I'm really proud of what we did with Vote by Mail, and I'm really proud of what we're doing with the Debate Commission. All of these things are designed to get people to participate at a higher rate and to feel more informed. Do you, you know, Tom, one of yeah, the things that uh, I have on good authority is that uh, Thomas's kids uh, tried to encourage him to vote another way, and so we won't talk <laughs> about that on the air right now, but... You know, that's the nice thing about that. Okay. Yeah, that's that's true, but that is good education. Uh, I, Thomas Wright, I do, uh, there are a lot of great things about vote by mail, and, and I, I, I do hope, I think we all hope, that this can help increase voter participation. Um, I, I do miss rubbing shoulders with, with my neighbors at the polling place. I do, too. I, I miss that, too, yeah. and I miss the sticker you get to put on mm-hmm. and wear it with pride to the, to the you know, to the workplace and let everybody Times change, and you know what? I still rub shoulders in some ways because I'll I'll go down to the grocery store, I'll be filling up my car with gas, and people will say to me, "Hey, you know, I I got my ballot in the mail, and just curious what your opinion is on this proposition or on that, or you know, just wondering what I'm missing over here, and here's what I was thinking." And I've found that as vote by mail becomes more and more predominant and more accepted, that I'm still rubbing shoulders. I think it's just in different ways, and but I do I do understand what you're saying, and I and I have the same sentiment. Before I go to Scott uh, Howell, uh, Thomas Wright, I want to follow up on that. That is very heartening to me that you're having those conversations. Uh, perhaps people on the on the other side of the aisle who are saying, "Hey, what did I miss? Um, you know, talk to me about this." Those conversations happening because it, it's you know if you if you read the media, um, it's uh, nobody wants to talk across the aisle in any way, shape, or form. And I, I think that's part of what I said earlier. I want that to be who I am. I can only control what I do. I'm, I want to be an American first and a Republican second. I want to be political, but I don't want to be partisan. And I want people to know that I'm willing to have a conversation about anything, and I'm willing to respect their point of view and not ever be hostile or uncivil. And I live in the heart of Salt Lake City. I grew up there. I was born and raised there. I still live there. And when I was a Utah Republican Party chairman, I don't have many Republicans in my immediate path, right in my immediate Salt Lake City area. And, and uh, so a lot of my friends and neighbors and people that I associate with are not Republican. And, uh, and, and so we do have those dialogues. We do have those conversations. And, and, and I've learned a lot from them. I've learned a lot about their perspectives. I had one of my kids once say to me, hey, Dad, let's talk about global warming. And I said, okay, let me tell you what I think. And I told him, and I said, but you know what? We have a neighbor that knows a lot about it, and he has a completely different opinion than I have. Let's go talk to him. And we went and talked to him, and we worked away both more, both more educated, both more motivated to understand each other's positions, and both just uh, more in the heart of the issue than just the partisan sound bites and picking one side because that's what Republicans do and picking the other side because that's what Democrats do. And that's what we need to teach our kids, and that's who we need to be as Americans. We need to be willing to listen and to engage and to respect that other people have a differing opinion. Scott Hall, I want to ask you the same question. Are you having those conversations across that divide? Uh, is, is that happening? Absolutely. And uh, you can tell why I have such a great co-chair and how Thomas uh, really does exemplify this bipartisanship and uh, probably not to be announced on the radio, but I'm sure Thomas voted for a lot of Democrats this go-around already. Um, and I'm only kidding. But I think uh, that whole notion of what Thomas said, it is absolutely true. And I come from a family where most of them are Republicans. 
And when we go to social events, it's interesting how the dinner conversation goes. And they're asking, uh, they're telling me about their feelings about Trump. And uh, I'll tell you, there are strong feelings that the president is doing exactly what they want them to do, want him to do, and that's why they voted for him, and that's why they support him. And it's it's an interesting environment in which we live right now. Uh, my family, I have four boys. Uh, my wife uh, was a BYU uh, grad. I was the University of Utah. Uh, she's Republican. I'm Democrat, and our family is split right down the middle. But we have never had a contentious dinner conversation or any conversation in a social setting that has led to any incivility or contentious by nature. We are all good listeners, and I think that's what Thomas is saying. It's important to be a good listener. Now, we'll make up our decisions, and we'll, we'll go vote the way we do, but not to engage in that debate and understand where other people come from is probably the most harming thing we could do to our political system today. And I'm not talking on a, a mild grocery store conversation. I'm talking what we see, and with the Kavanaugh hearing, there's a prime example. Um, God bless uh, Chairman Grassley. What a terrific job he did in trying to maintain to some civility in that. And again, I think the majority of Americans, Democrat, Republican, Independent, don't like that type of behavior that was exhibited in that. And so I think that's a good example for all of us of why it's time that we start listening and start working together to solve some of these important issues. If you just joined us, we're talking with the co-chairs of the Utah Debate Commission, Scott Howell and Thomas Wright. You can join us by phone to 800-826-1495. We're asking if you're going to vote and what issue uh, most uh, has got you excited. Uh, if you're not going to vote, uh, let us know. Um, th- that's an ongoing uh, issue to trying to get people to vote. We promise we won't uh, we won't publicly shame you. We'll just uh, ask you why not. 800-826-1495, upraxis at gmail.com. Before we go to another break, um, we have had an email from Steve, and this is directed to Scott Howell. Um, he says, your Democratic guest this morning is in the wrong party. His fiscal hawkery betrays an utter lack of understanding of Keynesian macroeconomics, as to say actual economics as it functions in the real world, and acceptance instead of Republican economic myth-making, and is buying into Republican-generated propaganda that it is the Democrats who behaved badly relative to Kavanaugh appointment is just breathtaking. Judiciary Committee Republicans, having, having, uh, having stolen a court nomination from Barack Obama, Berated a witness who came forward with nothing to gain, ignored verifiable perjury in Kavanaugh's testimony, and libeled anyone objecting to this behavior as a quote-unquote mob. Democrats, on the other hand, listened respectfully, soberly, and genuinely sought to bring facts to light, not cover them up. And your guest impugns the behavior of Democrats? He's in the wrong political party. That's what Steve says. <laughs> what, what do you say, Scott you know, I've been uh, accused of that on many times. Well, first of all, Steve, thank you for saying that. You are very articulate, very smart. And I'm glad that you brought that up, because what I was saying is not that um, that that the Democrats were uh, wrong in 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 the way that they treated uh, um, uh, Mrs. Professor Ford. Uh, What I was saying and what I wanted to convey is the whole process was so out of control. And Democrats did bring on a, a amount of what I call contentious nature. The best part of that debate was when uh, Senator Kuhn and Senator Flake walked out of the room and got together and said, this is how we ought to fix it. And you're absolutely right. Professor Ford had nothing to gain, not one thing on that. But I think as the Democrats kept challenging and kept pushing back and were vicious in their attacks on um, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, that that exemplified not what I call civil debate. And I, I completely agree with you, Steve, with regards to uh, Obama and Merrick Garland should have been the nomination uh, nominee, and it should have been confirmed, and that should have happened. And everything that, that the Republicans stood in the way of when the Democrats had the, the uh, uh, when we had uh, the executive office and we had parts of the Senate, it didn't happen, but just because of the poor behavior of what Republicans did in the past, 
I don't think we should carry that on and carry that into the future. Now, I, I am a fiscal hawk, but I think every good elected official has to be when we have a trillion-dollar debt. Steve, it's your children's children that will be carrying that debt and that burden for how long we know, I mean, how long we can think and how long we know, unbelievable. So I think we all have a responsibility to be more fiscally responsible. And that's what I'm looking for in, in candidates that I'm voting for. Uh, but be assured, Steve, that uh, I am a Democrat. I, I believe in our party. And I have to call us out when we're wrong, because I think that's only fair to recognize that when, when it's wrong and it's not right, that we are the party that stands up and say, yep, we made a mistake on that. We're going to fix it. We're going to turn around and move forward. Thomas Wright, I'm interested in, uh, again, before we go to break, um, the Kavanaugh hearings, we just heard from each of you some very heartening stories, and it really has truly heartened me, of, of talking across the, you know, the divide and, and really trying to be civil and, and uh, listen. And that, that's, I think we can all agree that's what we need. The judicial appointment process, confirmation process, which I think we all agree is pretty broken, is maybe an example, a big example on the other side, of kind of disheartening. Both sides, you know, tit for tatting until we got to Merrick Garland and now uh, the Kavanaugh hearings. And uh, I don't know, when I, when I think about that whole process, I get a little depressed. But, you know, what's, what's next? I wonder what you I think, what, what do you think. Who's a great co-chair, and uh, I've really enjoyed working with him. I'm a really good man. And I think he said it really well when he said that, we have to call our own party out when they're wrong. That's where that's part of the solution. And I look at the, the recent judicial appointments and nominations and confirmation hearings, and, and I look back to a time in the Senate when the rules were suspended, Senate traditions were thrown to the side by then Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid uh, for for the interests of pushing the Obama administration's agenda forward without Republican. Um, without Republican participation. And because of those things that happened then, and Republicans were serious about it at the time, as you recall, they didn't think that the Republicans, I guess, would ever be back in control of the White House and the Senate. And because of the things that Harry Reid did, without any outcry, really, from the Democratic Party, the rules changed. And Republicans are now able to do things that they would not have been able to do otherwise. And I think those things are wrong. I think we should go back to the way we, we had it in the Senate, the advice and consent, the, the number on cloture. Those, those things were really important to, to our country. But because at the time, the Democrats then, uh, under Obama, were so interested in just forcing their agenda because they had super control of both houses and the White House, they, they changed the rules. And when they did that, they did it at their own peril because now we are where we are. I think what we can all agree on is the processes are broken. And, and the people of this country are slowly getting more and more tired of it, and I wish our elected officials would recognize it and step up to the plate and change things so that, that the process is more civil. What happened to both Dr. Ford's family and, and, and Brett Kavanaugh's family is unspeakable, it's embarrassing, and it's, it's, it's terrible. We destroyed our country's process, destroyed innocent people that did not, did not deserve to have that happen. Waiting the last minute to bring all that up and having the wrong processes in place didn't hurt the two people that it involved. Not only did it hurt them, it hurt a lot of people around them. And the other night at the debate with Mia Love and Ben McAdams, Scott and I stood before we went live on the air and, and thanked the families. And we, we had the family stand up. Scott said, I think it'd be great to recognize the spouses. And I said, Scott, great idea. We recognized the spouses. We had them stand up. And we both said, when you go after one of these candidates, you're going after these children and these spouses. And they don't deserve it. And that's really where I come in. We've got to rise to the occasion. We're better than the way we're behaving right now. And we've, we've got to step up and, and demand better. And we've got to demand it of our own party when they're wrong. I totally agree with Scott Howell on that. Scott Howell, uh, you want to say anything about broken process and how, how that gets uh, fixed? Is, I guess it, maybe it starts with one-on-one -on -one conversations that you two gentlemen have been talking about that you try to emphasize. So beyond that, what, what, what needs to happen? Well, I think we need to elect leaders, bold leaders who are, are willing to listen, reach across the aisle, not take party directive. I am so impressed with this Senator Sass from Nebraska. 
and I watched him carefully during the um, the hearings, and what an example. I'm impressed with uh, Jeff Flake. Uh, I'm impressed with uh, Senator Coons. I, I think that w- we, as the people, need to elect great leaders. And the, it, leadership is hard. Tom, if you knew what, and, and Steve and, and all your listeners out there, let me tell you what uh, a candidate goes through. And I was thinking about this earlier this morning. They'll get up at 4.30 in the morning, be to a Qantas breakfast at 6, go back to their office, make some calls, go out to a campaign stop, come back and go to a Lions Club luncheon, come back to the office, make calls, return emails, so on and so forth, hit the campaign trail about 3, go to events at 5, and then go to a dinner and then go to another event that will last well until 10 o'clock, get home, do their emails, go through and make some final calls, meet with their advisors, meet with their campaign manager, probably get five or six hours of sleep, and then be back on the trail. And we, I, I, don't, think, I don't think citizens understand what a candidate sacrifices in order to, to be an elected official. And that's on both sides of the aisle. And so I, I think for us in the future, we have to elect leaders that are independent in, in so, uh, thought and mind. I used to tell my people all the time when I was on the campaign trail, this is how I'll vote. It's the three C's. I'll vote my conscience, the Constitution, and my constituents. And when those things all add up together and I see that we're doing it in the best of, of what I believe is the right thing to do, it might be for a Democratic bill and it might be for a Republican bill. And that's, but, but I'm always going to vote that way. Let's take another break. We're talking with Scott Howell and Thomas Wright. They're co-chairs of the Utah Debate Commission. More following this break. When Troy Sivan was 14, he came out as gay on YouTube. He said he did it because he wanted to reach people who were as scared as he was. Now he's 23, one of the best-selling pop artists in the world. Troy Sivan drops by for a rare conversation about how his life turned out. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. This afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. When Claude Debussy wrote this music for a ballet, he was picturing a game of tennis with two young women and one young man. In tennis, love means nothing. In this music, love is everything. Romance and seduction on the courts from a concert by the New York Philharmonic on the next Performance Today from APM. Tune in to UPR tonight at 9. Thanks for joining us for Access U Time. Tom Williams. We are uh, talking on this hour with uh, Thomas Wright and Scott Hal, co-chairs of the Utah Debate Commission. Uh, the next two debates, final two debates in this uh, season, are coming up tonight. Is the Utah first congressional debate that's uh, originating from Utah State University? Uh, Representative Rob Bishop, the Republican incumbent, uh, is debating the Democrat Lee Castillo and Erica Elison from Utah United United Utah Party. And then on Tuesday, uh, the 3rd Congressional District debate from Utah Valley University, John Curtis, the Republican incumbent against James Singer, the Democrat. Uh, those debates, uh, each of those, 6 p.m. on various media outlets, including Utah Public Radio. Hope you'll tune in. Hey, Tom. Those. Yes. And, uh, really interesting. Um, the Debate Commission has been accused of not uh, uh, allowing every candidate to participate in debates. And we have a process. Uh, you have to pull at a certain number, and if you pull at that, we invite you up on the stage. Well, our, our media partners spend about $100,000 for that hour of time, and we, uh, every channel is carrying it, radio stations, you guys carry it. And you guys should be very proud uh, up there in Cache County that one of your homegrown uh, own individuals, uh, an adjutant professor at uh, Utah State, will be on the stage. Uh, Eric Eliason, and uh, he's a homegrown, hometown boy, and uh, he qualified. He went out to parades. He he went and knocked on doors. He did everything that that are that most candidates don't like to do, and he did it, and he qualified. So he'll be up there on stage tonight. 
I just wanted. I was going to, going to go there. Very prescient of you. Uh, let me let me start with you and then go to to, uh, to Thomas Wright. Um, the uh, some people feel that every candidate ought to be up there. Hear hear all the voices. Of course, the, then the danger becomes. I remember a New York mayoral debate. Uh, the, guy, the guy with the big handlebar mustache. The 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 rent is too darn high. I'm changing one word there, uh, candidate. You had you know you, you tend to get some eccentrics. I'm not saying that would happen here, but um, what, what's the what's the argument for limiting that? I think it's a, an argument that has to do with the dedication of the individual. We have never thought that a, a debate should be for someone to just exercise one voice and one issue and disregarding everything else uh, policy-wise. And we've seen that happen uh, time and time again. And you pointed out New York. I, I was thinking of the gubernatorial race up in uh, in Idaho with Butch Otterson, uh, the Republican governor up there. And he, he made a funny statement. He said, yeah, let's invite everybody on. And they had like 10 people, or I think it was eight. And the time allotment, every person probably got like two minutes just because of the what was going on time a lot. And I'll never forget the guy from the Harley-Davidson party that was on stage. You know what? It was actually comical. It was really interesting to see. But it didn't really do anything policy-wise. Uh, I don't think the guy really got any votes. And I, there should be a sacrifice for people who get up on stage and earn that right to, to speak for that uh, 15 or 20 minutes. And they're the ones who pay the price. They're out there. They're getting signatures, they're uh, knocking on doors, uh, they're preparing their uh, constituents so when the polling happens, they, they'll be recognized. And I, I think that those who, who make the sac- sacrifice deserve to be on the stage. Thomas Wright, let me ask you uh, this question. A third party, uh, will a third party ever be viable, do you think, under our system? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Uh, I, I'm not sure the Founding Fathers set it up thinking like that. I think it's always been kind of designed as a two-party system, but I, I certainly think that, that it would be healthy and productive to have a different voice at the table, and it's certainly not threatening to me as a Republican, and I don't think Scott's threatened by it. We want more voices. We want more diversity. We want more opinions. Uh, the Utah Debate Commission has had a, a policy in place for participation, and it hasn't changed. Since its inception, it's always worked. And the candidates know when they file their own what it is and what threshold they have to hit to be on the stage. And uh, we love when third-party candidates are on the stage. I, I'm really looking forward to being in Logan tonight and seeing the three candidates on the stage and seeing the impact that a third voice has. And so I fully embrace that. I think everybody should speak their mind and affiliate with who they think uh, suits their interests. And in this case, we have a third-party candidate, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the dialogue. It'll change the dynamic of the debate for, in a very positive way. And I hope more and more third-party candidates are successful. We just have about uh, three or four minutes left in the discussion. I want to, uh, I'll, I'll ask this with Thomas Wright and get uh, Scott Howell's uh, opinion on this as well. Uh, we're talking about increasing voter participation. Um, Democrats uh, charge that some Republicans in some states are engaged in the name of voter security of, uh, in voter suppression. I wonder what you, uh, what you think about that. Uh, well, I mean, there's definitely always been strategies to suppress the vote and there still is today they're um they're cunning they're dark i don't like them i don't care for it i think it's uh the ends don't justify the means just because you can win by getting people uh unengaged and and misinformed and or unmotivated to vote doesn't mean you should do it i would never participate in a practice like that i don't believe in it and um it's it's un-american and it's unfortunate but it does happen and i would just caution the listeners that uh, don't don't be a victim of that. There's a lot of voices out there on social media and the digital world. There's a lot of narratives coming at you. Uh, make sure you're not being suppressed by a voice that you agree with that discourages you from participating. Scott Howell, what what do you think about this? Uh, efforts, uh, voter ID laws, is what I'm referring to. Well, I completely agree with Thomas on this one. It's just wrong, and um, it, it's not fair. It's not. It's not the way the process was set up, and you know what? There might be short-term gains for for individuals or for a party, but the long-term consequences will never, ever justify that uh, type of behavior. And they'll get caught. They'll get caught, and there will be prison uh, and fines and all those things that will happen. It's just, it's just wrong. It is wrong. 
Uh, just a, a shout out yes. Here. Oh, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, but, you know, Utah this year, the Utah legislature passed a law to allow same-day voter registration. I, I think that's a huge step in the right direction. I know that it was the legislative Democrats that pushed that early on. When I was chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in 2012, they were the ones that started the initiative and really pushed it. I tried to support it, and eventually it got done. And this year you can register up to the same day. And that, that's a good example of opening our elections up and not suppressing people because they forgot to register, or they just moved in, or they weren't sure of the process. We need more of that. And we also need to make sure that people that are voting are legal citizens and that they're, they're not voting twice and that there's not gamesmanship in our elections. We see the collusion and the interference that's happened in our elections, and we have to balance the security of our elections with not suppressing them at the same time. And both parties need to take the high road on this one and work together instead of accusing each other of nefarious activity. Just a, a, maybe a closing statement from each of you with 30 seconds. Uh, start with Scott Howell. Well, thank you, Tom, for having us. We really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully someday you'll be one of our moderators. We we take these debates to different campuses, uh, to different colleges and universities and campus, and uh, we really enjoy your program. Uh, I'm a big fan of what you guys do up there, and Carrie one time was one of our moderators, uh, but we appreciate it. I, I think the message to everybody that's in your listening realm is please take the time to be an informed voter, not a misinformed voter, but an informed voter in this very important election. Do is what Thomas talked about. If you have a ballot that's sent to your home, go over it with your family. Let them participate. Start to teach them early what a, what a privilege and what an honor it is to vote in the United States of America. Remind them that not, not all countries have that same freedom. And then last but not least, please, please, please vote. Get out and vote. And as Thomas said, if you're not registered or you're from out of town, you're a student, you still have that opportunity to go down and register to vote. Because I promise you, this election, more than ever before, every vote counts. And that's what America is all about, is giving people the opportunity to exercise their vote. And if you don't think your one vote counts, look at every election in the last 10 years where they've been settled by less than 50 votes. And, Tom, thank you for having us. We look forward to seeing you tonight. All right. Uh, 20 seconds. Give the last word to Thomas Wright. Oh, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having us on. I'm just so proud to be an American. I'm proud to live in this country. Thank you for the good work you do on your side. NPR plays an important role in our political process. And I want to thank Scott and everyone. I, I love being an American. I love being in Utah. Let's get together tonight and debate, and let's uh, let's continue to participate in this great uh, constitutional government that we have. That's Thomas Wright uh, and uh, Scott Howell. They are co-chairs of Utah Debate Commission. They've organized a series of candidate debates. Uh, the next one up is tonight, 6 p.m., right here on Utah Public Radio. Uh, Rob Bishop, Lee Castillo, and Eric Ellison will be debating from the campus of Utah State University. Then Tuesday at 6 p.m., third congressional district debate, again, 6 p.m. on that evening. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, also heard at upr.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Little Bear Bottoms Corn Maze Haunted River Trail and Spooky Barn Ride, a family farm that turns into a Halloween event. September 28th through October 31st. Located south of Logan on the east side of Highway 8991 in Wellsville. Info at lbbcornmaze.com.